This episode of the Fabulous Learning Nerds is sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTIs, counselor, and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Here's a question for him. How did you learn how to become a good trainer? Did you take a class? Did you get certified? Or did you learn by making a ton of mistakes? Well, today we're going to take a deep dive into that very topic by exploring some amazing classroom management skills that are going to help improve your game in the room. So get excited. This is going to be a ton of fun. Cue the music. They are the fabulous learning nerds. Because if you're tired of the old ways of getting it done, you've got the fabulous learning nerds. Scott and Dan are making it lots of fun. The best ideas that you've ever heard. So everybody spread the word. They're gonna keep you with turning the fabulous learning nerds. Fabulous learning nerds. Oh yeah! Hey everybody, welcome to another fantastic episode of your fabulous learning nerds. I'm Coach Shooter, your host, and with us, as always, you love him, Dan Coonrod. Dan the man. Oh yeah. Daniel, how are you doing, sir? I'm fair to Midland, Scott. How are fair you? Fair to Midland. Holy crap. That's it right there. I'm done. All right. Everybody's been a great show. We'll see you guys again next week. Thank you, Sopo. <laughs> you like that? I do. That, I do. That's kind of how I'm doing. I really, really, really like it. Fair to Midland. Yeah. That's I, you know, I'm going to send you that drop so you can use it. All day long. Everywhere. Everywhere Everywhere. you go. I think it would be great. I'm doing all right. Thank you for asking, Dan. I appreciate it. (laughs) I really, 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 really do. Um, It's hard to follow that, so I'm not going to even ask you to do that. We'll bring in the very lovely and talented uh, Abby Dawson, everybody. (laughs) Abby also has an explosion at the end of her drop. How about that, Abby? I mean, I dang well better. <laughs> you know, the imposter syndrome has never been an issue for Abby. Have you noticed that, Daniel? <laughs> I, you know, I just maybe, possibly. High in emotional <laughs> intelligence is Miss Dawson. And that's because she understands herself. I mean, self-awareness is a foundational piece to an emotional intelligence. And so I'm just going to... Uh, Applaud uh, Miss Dawson for uh, being self-aware. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And your check yeah. is in the mail, Scott. <laughs> All two dollars of it, right? <laughs> two dollars. Give me my two dollars. That is so funny. You know, I'm, I'm jumping the gun a little bit here because I know we're going to talk about stuff. But I was, I had a conversation with with somebody just today about how like the best trainers are people who know themselves because you need that foundation to build on. Yeah, you kind of do. You kind of know what you can do and what you can't do. And the only way that you learn that is by trying new stuff and having it fail miserably. And then you learn from that. Well, it failed miserably and then you learn from that and then you apply what you learned and you get better, right? What happens if you accidentally succeed? We'll tell you when we find out. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. I'm glad somebody will point it out. So you have been trying for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I may want to quit while you're ahead, Dan. You know what I'm saying? To oh, there it is. I'm sorry. I had to do that. <laughs> Keep doing it. That's fantastic. <laughs> hey, we don't have any emails this week, folks. Please, if you'd like Shame to contribute. on you. 
Email us at learningnerdscast at gmail.com, and we'd be happy to read it on the air or, or have you participate in the discussion. We'd love to have more of that. Um, we're no guests again this week, which is great, so we get to talk amongst ourselves. And uh, let's go ahead and dive right into the topic of the week, shall we? This week, we're going to be talking about training stuff, right, Dan? Training stuff. Yes, I feel like a lot of weeks we talk about training stuff. Abby, is there anything more specific around training stuff we're talking about? I mean, I don't want to get lost in the weeds, but (laughs) 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 I mean, generally, that's what we touch on. (laughs) Yeah, generally, that's what we touch on. But more specifically, Dan, before the show or even earlier today when we were discussing tonight and all we're going to be talking about, you had a really great conversation based on an experience that you had all about facilitation and and uh, classroom management and training and and delivery more importantly and this idea of well where does good come from right what does good look like where does good come from when it comes to classroom management is there anything more you'd want to add to that so many times just as as i've come up through the through the ranks and as i've been a learning and development professional i i've met so many fantastic trainers and facilitators. I mean, just people who I go, holy crap, that's amazing. And so many times, like I'll ask them, I'll, I'll just be like, I'll be like, oh, like, where did you learn to do this? And like, how did you come up with that idea? Where did that come from? And I would say 8.5 times out of 10, 85 times out of 100, there's some, there's some advanced math for everybody this week. Um, they go, eh. I just came up with it, or eh, I just winged it, or eh, I tried it one time and it worked. And just, you know, last week and this week, as I've been thinking about it, like how much time, how much resources, not just, not, not we as a learning and development community, but the companies that are hiring us, how much time and effort and resources are they pouring in to get us trained? A lot. We hope. Probably more more than ever now, actually, if I'm looking at stuff. Like learning development is more important to success in your building than a business than it's ever been before. Well, I'll say this to Dan's point, because he pitched this idea to us before the show to let us kind of marinate on it and muddle it around in our heads. I have had probably about a decade where training has been a formal responsibility for me in some way, shape or form um, in my career. And I can only think of two real occasions where I had a formal, we are doing this to make you better at this training role. So, and I've worked for big companies. um, I've worked for small ones. So I, I don't know. I think maybe that there's an assumption that this is something like you come to the job with or that you just um, have a personality or a skill for that's like innate. And I don't know if I think that's true. See, I've had, I've had a similar experience. Where I'm at now, the role I'm in now with who I'm working for, it's, it's better. Like, you know, I'd say about every year we're like, we're going off to a summit. But as I'm thinking back just through my growth and development and through the people I know, too often, Abby, I agree 100%. People go, oh, yeah, no, they're they're really good. They're really entertaining. And we just go, okay, cool. Like, they've got a lot of charisma. And then that's enough. Great. You're a trainer. You're a facilitator. You know how to talk to people and not stutter and stammer unless it's in an entertaining way. So good enough. Scott, I think I think you're the exception. But how much of that is your personal drive and dedication? Mr. Master Certified Trainer. Certified Master Trainer. Oh, I'm sorry. Sure you get that <laughs> right. I'm so sorry. With, with um, now that I'm thinking about it, I actually have three different. Um, I am certified through more MOHR. I don't know if they're around anymore. Um, I got certified through an AT&T program where I learned VOR. We talked about that in one of our early episodes, right? And that was really structured. Um, I'm really lucky to be part of that because that, that has really framed up some stuff. Um, and then I'm also, um, certified through Covey, Franklin Covey. So, um, yeah, I, I think that 
you know, those were purposeful attempts on the businesses that I supported to make us better because they saw the value in what was going on. And then when you become certified, um, you know, in, in the mastery sense, then it's a, you can now coach other people how to do this right. And it's really interesting because I, I love it. I absolutely positively love people development. If you've been listening for any short period of time, man, I, I we had a, a, a sales summit uh, before the pandemic hit and I got asked to come in and present, you know, some op- you know, good opening, good closing, and then how to facilitate questions. And we're not going to dive into all of that for a group of 50 trainers. And have I, either of you had the opportunity to train trainers? Yes. I've created materials for them. I haven't been the one leading, but yeah. Oh, so Dan, your experience training trainers, sir. Um, in a previous role, uh, a lot of times vendors would 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 hire trainers, and they would be new, and so we would show up to either launch a site or something like that, and we would train them like, "Hey, this is how we expect our material to be trained." And I would say nine times out of ten, those conversations turned to, "This is how you train. This is how you train this material. This is how you train this." This is how you you get interest. This is how you get buy-in. This is how you manage a room full of 20 to 30 other adults. And I loved it. Yeah, my thing is that I think it's really challenging. Like, there's no audience more difficult than a room of trainers. Because you walk in there, uh, let's just put it this way. A lot of people in our um, circle of influence, our peers, um have found success through their own ego and they've gotten really good at it. So like, oh, there's nothing you could teach me. And I'm like, okay. And so, you know, right away, I think you're two feet in the ground when you're training trainers. They're also the hardest on you too, because they intrinsically know what good looks like. And that's why whenever I go to offsites where I've got to participate in trainings and, and I, and you get that good facilitator. Oh, I am right up there after it's done. Like, you know, long, eight hour day where you've had 20 minutes of rest total and you're just exhausted to have somebody come up to you and say, Hey, listen, I do what you do. And you're really great. Like, Oh my God, that's amazing. So I'm always trying to do that when I see good trainers. Um, and, and so at any rate, I, I, I figure, or I find that training trainers is really a challenging thing. Um, I walked into that room and I, I will tell you, there were more than a handful of people like, yeah, why are you here? Yeah, um, I can't learn anything from you. Um, and I'm not trying to brag, but if you can be humble about it and whatnot, converting that is awesome. So like at the end of the day, like, you are so good. I learned so much. Oh my God, I didn't think I could learn anything. So our hope through, my hope at least through this discussion is that we can share some groovy stuff that we learn to make people better. And then I'm always going to say that I had the opportunity to get better every time I see somebody like, oh, I love that. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to apply that. To your point about like, you like to share this stuff. Um, even if you're a fabulous trainer, that doesn't necessarily mean you know how to make other people fabulous trainers, but there are skills and ways to do that. And so I hope if you're a great trainer out there listening to tonight's podcast, maybe we'll have some things to share that will help you make other trainers who are on your team who you care about and enjoy working with more successful because it is a collaborative team thing to, to make all of us better and to knowledge share. And um, I've certainly learned a lot from folks I've worked with and thank God they were willing to take the time to spend on me and share their wisdom. So. All right. I'm going to throw this football right back at you. Miss Dawson, like what's you thinking about keys to success? You're talking to a new facilitator. What uh, what are you going to say? What's the first thing? Classroom management or success in the room? What are you what are you going to tell them? Um, I'm probably not going to tell them much at all. Uh, my first thing is just to see kind of who you are. So I'll probably give you something for you to do um, just to find out how you approach material, how you approach learners, how you position yourself in a room. Um, because it's not so much about me, it's them and where they're starting from. The, the first question I'm going to ask a trainer that I've popped in 
is why. Why why are you a trainer? Why are you here? Uh, maybe not as accusatory as it just came out right there, but like people come into this profession for like lots of different reasons. And as a trainer, as somebody who is helping like people grow and develop, if you don't know why you're there, you've got no foundation to build upon. Yeah, that's all um, begin with the end in mind, which I think is really great. Like what, help me understand what you want to accomplish today. Like we're going to go in into this um, session. What's our objective? What do we want to accomplish? And, and hopefully the people who have designed the content have made that very clear to us what we want to do. It's, it's just a matter of how it gets done, right? The very first time I was a trainer in a class, I uh, was not prepared. I had accepted the role. I was super excited. I I have a, a a fair amount of uh charisma and I enjoy talking to people and I thought that that would be enough and the role happened upon me way sooner than I think I had expected and to be fair uh I started the same day and another trainer basically was just like uh I quit and so my boss went from, oh, here's our six-week plan to here's our 16-hour plan because I need you to train a class tomorrow. And that class was a train wreck. <laughs> and inside of that failure, which we were joking about earlier, uh, is, is some of the most important lessons I've, I've taken away from training. And so I would tell trainers, like, key things are obviously pay attention all the time, but pay special attention to those moments when you fail. The answer isn't just that obvious, like, do the opposite of what you just did. But were you uncomfortable? Was it a skill you don't have? Was it connecting with the, the, the people? Like, where was the miss? And what would you do differently if you could do it again? And just being mindful. So I, I think that at some point in time, there are just some tenets around classroom management and facilitation that are really, really important that you need to be thinking about. Um, for me, like I'll go ahead and start and we can round Robin. I need to be aware of where I am at all times. Like never, I, I was taught never turn your back to the audience if you can help it. And if you do, right, then it's got to be very short because the, the, uh, the propensity is that we'll just keep talking and then they can't hear me. So I learned to walk backwards really, really well. Like if I'm going to go ahead and step out into the room, by the way, using the room, oh my God, it, it can make you from an average trainer into a good trainer yeah. overnight. Use the room. You got you got a room. You got a space. A lot of people like to plant themselves right up front. You don't need to plant yourself. By the way, if you plant yourself, you're nine times out of ten going to develop happy feet. Do you guys know what happy feet is? No. Happy feet is what you get when you plant yourself because you end up fidgeting in one spot and kind of doing the back and forth, front and back, and you look like oh, the um, wet your pants dance. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much the wet your pants dance. You get happy feet. Because the potential is you you have all this pent up energy and you're focusing it into the, the ground and you're now allowing that energy to go out into the room and so you wet your pants dance. Thank you, Abby. I love that. <laughs> Start using the room. If you if you have a if you have a large enough room and you're not using a mic and I, I don't need a mic. I don't know. If, and I, by the way, every time I use a mic when I train, everything changes because you're on a mic. You you hear yourself and then your whole dynamic changes. Like. I'm loud enough. I don't need a mic unless I, I I have to have a mic. Then I will. But walking around the room and using the room keeps my um, it keeps my learners awake, and it keeps them wondering what I'm gonna do. Like, uh oh, where's he going? What 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 what's he doing? He's in. He's talking from the back of the room, which is a great thing to do. Like, holy crap, what's he doing back there? I don't know. Well, I'm gonna pay attention to him. Like. Is he going to throw a pineapple at me like John Quattrusi? I don't know what he's going to do. So, yeah, uh, understanding um, presence and not having your back to your audience and then using the room was something that that I learned right away. And, and that can, like I said, that can take you from an average trainer to a great trainer overnight, like overnight. Give it a shot. 
like, oh, I can't walk around the room. No, you can and you should try it. And if it doesn't work for you, you can email me and tell me I'm full of baloney at learningnerdscast at gmail.com. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm going to I'm going to take us out of a room. Um, a lot of the training I did um, and a lot of the training I designed after I stopped doing the training myself was for in-person training on the floor. Um, and I, I did this for restaurants and I did it for sales environments. Um, and what I found was it's, it's always smaller groups because you're probably out in front of customers. Um, and it's, uh, it's a live environment. So mistakes matter, but, um, there's a lot of value in that. And what I really learned, one of the biggest lessons and the hardest things to do was to always let people struggle and fail without judgment. So uh, one thing I will never forget, it was, uh, it, it will be vivid with me until I die. There was um, a woman who was training to be a store manager when I worked in retail. And she didn't have the experience we had. She, she'd come on out of college and gotten hired into this role. It was a development program. She was actually going to be reporting above me. She was training with us to learn kind of what our roles were, uh, which was common. Well, she messed up a customer's account in a way that anyone in my role would have known not to do because it results in a huge mess, a very upset customer. 100% of the time, it's a very difficult problem to fix and it causes immediate difficulties for the customer that they recognize immediately. And uh, so it's, it's bad. Um, so she messed up a customer's account. The customer got furious with her. Me and, and the other, the other person who was working with me were like, should we jump in and save her? We know how to fix this with is mitigating as much harm as we can, or do we let her see what she's considering as her job? And we let her experience the full impact of the mistake she made. And we didn't do it to be cruel people. And it was very hard for her. Um, but at the time, it was the right decision to make. Like, she needed to know what she was signing up for. She needed to know um, what the people who were going to work for her were going to go through and be put in the positions they were going to be put in. Man, it was hard to watch. You've got to have a heart of stone sometimes to have a, a, you know, to be a good hearted person because it was the right thing to do. But that on the floor in person training, sometimes it just means compassion can look very cruel, but it's, <laughs> it's the right thing to do. Well, that, that's why, you know, we talked about this at one point in time. I want to dive into it deeper one day, like building in failure to your learning is so important. Like as humans, we learn a tremendous amount about failure. No one would have been neat if you could create that environment in a very safe place where you're not, you can allow that to happen with no guilt whatsoever. Because at the end of the day, this isn't real. Uh, you're in the matrix going through all this. Um, you can still experience it and learn from it and then move on. So, but kudos to you to, um, know when to step in and and when to allow a learning moment to happen i think so many times new trainers gut tells them to swoop in and like don't let there be any mistakes and i think that's not just a trainer thing but a just an in, in every leader position thing like oh i gotta protect my team from their mistakes you know as a as a leader i often tell people my big job is to eat blame it's not, it's not my job to like stop you from making mistakes. You should go make those mistakes. As long as they're not like world ending, I'll go ahead and eat up the blame. Nom, 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 nom. So we can get back to like the vital parts of work. But go make those mistakes. You need to. I've actually told somebody uh, before like, hey, your job this week is to make a mistake. I need you to go out and make a mistake and just get over that fear of mistakes. So I love that. That's fantastic. Here's a question for both of you. What's the most powerful word in the um, in your language? I was going to say the human language. Let's say that. Most powerful word in the human language. That's really not safe for a PG podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I probably shouldn't what? be saying that word to, to, to employees, Scott. I'm okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. No, here to help. <laughs> the the most powerful word in the human language is your name. It is instantaneously recognizable. 
it causes you to respond immediately. Right? You, how many times you've been in a room and someone says your name, but they're not talking to you? How do you respond to that? Oh, you like sweat through your shirt, right? It's embarrassing. <laughs> there, there, there is that, but it's, you get immediate attention. My point is you get immediate attention when you know somebody's name. And that's why it's really important that you can establish an environment where, um, another pro tip, Scott, establish an environment where you get to know who your students are. In a virtual environment that's done for you, the platform will give that to you. In a, in a live environment, instructor-led environment, you have to do that. Um, I like to use tent cards. Do you guys use tent cards? Yeah. Do you ever, ever been in a in a pinch where, like, sometimes your organization will go, "Here's these tent cards, and they're nice, and they're uh, made of, you know, you know, harder paper. That's stock paper. It's hard, or they're cardboard, or whatever." I I used to, uh, on occasion, you can you can create tent cards with just eight and a half by eleven sheets of paper. You fold it over and you notch the corner. And then I got a tent card, which is great. Um, experience with tent cards and just ensuring that everybody knows who everybody is because I'm not going to remember who you are unless you can make that a bit readily available for me. So uh, I'll share with you guys this. Uh, it's not exactly tent cards. I, I use tent cards. I love tent cards uh, because I'm terrible with names. Uh, faces, I'm fair to Midland. Uh, names, not so great. Um, however, in classrooms, I have I have done this where I've walked into a classroom and I've looked at where everybody is sitting and I've taken a moment and I said, all right, guys, listen, I just want to be super real and super honest with all of you. I'm terrible with names and I just want to apologize now because I'm probably going to get your guys' names wrong. So I just want to let you guys know what I usually do is I usually pick somebody on the back row to be my name person. So I'm going to step out real quick. If anybody wants to go ahead and reposition where they're sit sitting or seated. I'll be right back and I'll pick somebody in the back row to be my name person. And then I'll step out of the classroom for like 10 or 15 seconds. And I'll always hear chair, like chairs and tables <laughs> moving as people who are on the back row. Cause it's like, Oh, I'm just looking for an easy place to sit. And I just want to like not participate or like, Oh crap. I got to get somewhere in the middle. People in the middle are like, uh, no, I'm already here. I don't want to move people in the front row who do want to participate are like trying to decide. Do I want to be in the back row now and like be this name person? Like, what does he mean by that? And then usually I'll come back in with my name cards and I'll be like, oh, found my name cards. My bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> Dan, there are so many stories where I think, I thought he was a nice guy. I'm but not. There are the <laughs> <laughs> These are the things I learn about you. Now, I'll, I'll say this about name cards. I am not against name cards. I feel like, especially if you're going to give me the smelly markers, I I'm game. I'll make my name card. But I have... Um, been in many trainings where the trainer used that as an excuse not to actually get to know people. So the, the name was almost meaningless. Like it was almost offensive that he would call you by name because clearly he knew nothing about you or she knew nothing about you. So I will say that if you're going to use name cards, it is not um, your whole purchase of, of your assumption that you've gotten to know the people that I think that you should still make a genuine human effort to try and get to know people throughout the training. Um, saying you know their name because it's written in front of them is um not really that that doesn't mean you know them yeah i, I would agree but i mean at the beginning of class i don't know nobody <laughs> like my my line was you guys are going to get to know me really well i'm one person i want to get to know all of you so do that i need you to write your name on this tent card hey let's make them um if you're brave enough and if it works for you i used to say or you can write whatever you want to be called in this class on the tent card. Just know that whatever you write on there, I will call you. So if you write Fat Tony on your uh, name card, <laughs> I'm going to call you Fat Tony for the rest of the class. And I had people do that who then quickly changed their name card later because they did refer to them as Fat Tony, right? Um so I mean, that may work for you, may not work for you. Work for me because you could, you know, I've done it so many times that it works. But I, I think name cards are really, really important. Like if you can't, if you don't know who your class, if you don't know the names of the people in your class, you are dead. You're just dead. I mean, you're not going to be able to get the kind of engagement and the enriching experience that I think that you need. Other pro tips from the audience here. You know, uh, I think we talked about this before but finding like what your 
what your niche is, like what your training style is, is important. And then not being afraid to like let that evolve and change. Uh, you know, in a classroom, I tend to be the uh, well-meaning, uh, bumbling professor. Uh, it just kind of flows with my own natural, uh, well-meaning bumblingness, and uh, it's 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 to be relatable. It's to like say like, hey, listen, like I'm up here. I'm a trainer. I know a lot, but I'm not the guy with all the answers. And we're on this journey together. And like when you watch me bumble and fumble, hopefully I'm giving you permission to go make those mistakes. And I've watched lots of different trainers use different personas. I've seen some trainers who I, I could never do this, but they come to it. They're good trainers and they'll come to it from like this weird, like weird detached arrogance type thing. And like, I'll, I'll hear it and I'll see it and I'll be like, Oh, I don't like that at all. But then like, I'll see their classes performance numbers or I'll hear, I'll hear their classes talk about them and they'll, they'll love them. They'll love that trainer. And I'll just be like, wow, like I don't get that. But that's because I could never pull off facilitating that way so i think as facilitators new and old like know your flow know what you're about and don't be afraid to let that evolve and change yeah and i think recognizing knowing yourself to that degree is important because when you get into a room where something's not working you've got to recognize when it's you or when it's the room and adjust accordingly so if i need to bring more energy i'm gonna do that or if it doesn't matter how much energy I bring, this is not working. I need to figure out what's happening in the room that's making, that's causing the the disruption or the failure or or our limitation that we're facing, um, because that's a different solution, and uh, you've got to be ready to address it. You got to be able to recognize it and address it. Um, Abby, you mentioned earlier the uh, scented markers. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm a huge fan of. So we're going to do a pop quiz on the scented markers because oh, no. this is a, uh, oh no, no, this is a, this is a surefire win. So people play atten- pay attention <laughs> if you could. So um, scent red is? Cherry, right? Fantastic. Green? Apple. Fantastic. Green apple. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Black? Licorice, my favorite. Oh no. No, black is Jaeger. That's. Oh. What? Well, Liaker is is licorice flavor. Yeah, boo, sir. And boo. while it's licorice flavored, somehow is also disgusting. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, very true. <laughs> There's a fantastic dad trainer joke. I, I always it always worked for me. Like, well, you know, I always did that bit. Like, oh, you know what? Ooh, what flavor is this? Oh, it's licorice. Oh, no, no, that's Jaeger. Oh, I didn't get quite the groan that Dan just gave me. You just getting even with me, but that's fine. You deserve that groan. I don't know if I deserved anything <laughs> am, from you, sir. I am I am the quiet groan of generations past from Scott. Scott so speaking trainings. of groans, what do you guys do when you get groans in the middle of a training? I think that's fantastic. Laugh. <laughs> so help me understand. Like, uh, it's, uh, okay, I get a groan. If that's an intentional thing, great. If it's not intentional, great. Like I, I, I've got reaction from my audience. I'd rather have grown than crickets. Like crickets are the worst thing ever, right? So you throw stuff out and you get nothing. Um, and that's actually a really good uh, question. I don't even know if I have an answer. Like, what do you do in that moment? I just don't have my audience for whatever reason just isn't engaged. What do you do? What are some things you do to handle that? I think it comes back to style, right, Dan? Yeah. Who you are. Yeah, I mean, like, if it groans and silence are two different things. Groans are a, I don't believe, I don't believe you, or I don't think you're doing this right. And that can be addressed in a couple of different ways. Like, that can be addressed, for me, it's going to be addressed through calling out humor and, like, being in the moment and just, like, kind of laugh, stopping, laughing, saying, all right, all right, all right, all right. This is why I said this. This is how it relates. This is why it relates to you guys. You know, please feel free to heckle me. It's okay. We're on this. We're on this journey together. I've said it a couple of times, but that's a it's an important phrase for me when I'm when I'm training and facilitating. Silence, though, 
silence is like one of those things where like if if I'm hitting silence, like it's dead stop. Like oh crickets. And like I'll be on meetings. Even now, like when like I'll ask something and like I get dead silence, like I will into the into the void be like, chirp, chirp, is that it? Like really guys? What oh stop right now. Everything okay? Are we lost? Are we missing? Are we tired? What's going on? If you if you don't address a silence when you hit it, that disconnect doesn't like magically heal if you skip over it. It doesn't like people go like, oh yeah, we were detached, but then we just kept going and eh, things filled in just fine. Like no, if you've got silence, that's a hard stop moment. Figure out why why there's silence and address it. Yeah, I agree. It's for me, it's always my first question is, did I go into autopilot and lost them? Or is there like a disconnect between us that's something else? So do I need to like change my pace? Or do I need to start asking questions? Do I need to change the slide, flash the lights, throw a pineapple at someone's head? What, what needs to happen next? And sometimes it's worth just asking. I don't think that's necessarily bad either. I know if I have extended, that may be a sign that we need to take a break. Like, hey, you know what? Let's take a break. We'll come back. Think about what we're talking about. We'll come back. Give you about 10 to 15 minutes to go do what you need to do. Especially if you've been going for a long time. Although, what's your thoughts on how long you should go before you have a break? Every group is different and every training is different. I don't mm-hmm. want to jump in with the, with that's a fairly trite answer. Um, but if I had to go with my gut, I'm saying probably every 90 ish minutes, which helps break up an eight hour day. But there are plenty of times where like, if you're in, in deep in heavy stuff and you're having to throw like a lot of facts and maybe the content isn't written well, or your timeline has been shortened, like, Hey, I have two weeks to turn these people into troubleshooting experts. Like, Oh man. Okay. We're going to need a lot of breaks. I'm going to dump a bunch of like IT jargon on you and I need you to like stop like maybe every 30 or 45 minutes and just kind of take a deep breath and like let those facts settle in your brain. And yeah. Yeah. I think it's a mix. I think part of it is you absolutely have to know your content. So you have to know what makes sense and when to stop. Right. Because there's sometimes where stopping in the middle of it, of a, of your content is just not going to make sense. It's going to take too long to recover or, you know, hey, I've really only got like five more minutes of this. We can get through this, even if it's a little painful. But on the flip side, like you take breaks when they need to take breaks, uh, because no matter how dedicated you are to your schedule, at some point, if it's becoming ineffective, it's not worth it. So you just kind of have to respect the reality of what's happening. But um, but I don't know if there's a real science to it. You got to have some gut feeling. You got to have some experience. Yeah, for me, I'd like to try to design my my course. If I'm gonna, if I have the opportunity to design the course, I'm gonna make sure I try to keep 90 minutes. Like the brain just kind of goes and shuts down after about 90 minutes. So, you know, how do we chunk out the content to make it worth um, worth the while and get what we need to get done, and allow the human brain to to digest what we just gave them, right? So, it's like going to a buffet. And someone just keeps throwing food on your plate. Eventually, you're going to get sick. And that's a terrible analogy, but that's kind of how it goes. Like, if I just shove too much at you, you're just going to shut down and get sick. Like, that, that I, I don't want to do, do that. The most effective class that I ever had to teach, it was a week-long class, several days. We planned the content to be no more than an hour. And our, most of our break, most of our sessions were 45 to 50 minutes long with a 10 to 15 minute break, which is great because like, oh, on the top of the hour, you guys all got to come back. And and the class got really used to that. Like, oh, we're going to talk for 50 minutes and take a break. And we got way better results. So we were training technicians on how to do complicated things. And wow, that was just amazing, especially from a technical standpoint, because again, that's even worse. Let's go. Into, that's like going to the buffet and all they have is carbs and they just shove bowls of rice at you and say eat 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 these carbs and um yeah so the timing is really important i think that breaks are important um and i don't think you can have too many breaks especially you know one of the things that we've learned in science around learning is that you know you need 
you need time away from what you're, you've talked about to really let it um, sit in and then you come back to it. So going back to helping young and experienced trainers become more developed or even really good trainers improve themselves. Have you guys been in situations where you realized there's no way we're getting through everything I plan to get through? How do I decide ne- quickly what we have to get through and what I wish we could have done? And, and what kind of skills do you have for planning ahead so that you could make those choices? I, I would say that there are, there are going to be times where like real life happens and classroom time has to be cut short or perhaps one lesson ran way long or some, for some reason you're finding yourself looking at the clock and you're like, Oh crap, Oh crap, Oh crap, Oh crap. What am I going to do? And being a subject matter expert super helped. You can always have, you can't always have that. But for me, it was just like, like, all right, I've got these 13 items that they have to know before they hit work. And I have enough time to train seven of them. Okay, let me focus in. What are the seven things that they're going to need to know day one? Will I have time to pick up? Nope. Okay, what's going to fill in? And how can I... How can I abbreviate that space so I can like leave at least enough push that they'll be like, oh, yeah, I think I sort of remembered that. Or, oh, I know where I can go get that answer. Like if I can't teach everything, sending them into like the content system so they can go get the answers and letting them know that that's OK is is super important. Yeah, I'm so aligned with you there, Dan. My my goal is always go into the training knowing my clear objectives and making those very narrow so that I'm always staying on track with that. And then also knowing what other resources I have to where if I have to say, I can't teach you everything I wanted to, but when you need it, go get it here. That was always my kind of backup plan so that I could cut and go, (laughs) if that makes sense. Yeah, I actually tried to plan for ending early. Right. So the class is nine to five. We are going to plan our content to be done at 415, 430. And all my years of training. Facilitating, nobody has ever complained ever about getting done early. Never, ever, not once. Have you guys ever had that happen? You got done early and someone complained to you about it? Yes. No. <laughs> so, really? Yes. Okay. So, there is a key difference between client training and vendor training. And, you know, when you're, when you're training for a company and they're, people are coming onto a role and they want them to emulate the experience that they'll be taking, that includes classroom time. And I've definitely had HR folks who are like, hey, you know, the class runs from this time to this time. They get paid hourly. So make sure you're using every minute. You know, you get this many breaks. You have to send them on this many breaks. You get this lawn of lunch. They have to take this lawn of lunch. And you have to let them go at this time. Not before, not after. This is the time that class lets out. And I've definitely been on the other side of that with client training where it's like, all right, guys, what's up? I'm Friendly Dan. I'm here to tell you guys about some cool products. I'm going to hang out for a few hours and then I'm going to be a cool guy and let everybody go a few minutes early. Best news of the day. And I mean, obviously, you want to be that guy. You want to be the person who's got the freedom to be like, oh, I'm looking around. Everybody's starting to get glassy eyed. <clears throat> what can I do to like, Get everybody back up task. Oh, I know. A five-minute break. Everybody, let's take five minutes. Go get some water. Go do this. Go do that. But there are just some places where that's where you don't have that much control over the flow. And there are real reasons why. You know, pay, hourly structure, <clears throat> HR requirements for, for billing, etc. But yeah, no. There, I've definitely had people who have been like, nope. This is the time. This is when breaks are. This is when lunch is. This is when class is done. I'm like, oh, okay. You're like, I'm sorry for doing too good. <laughs> Dan, Dan, has any of your participants ever complained? Oh, of course not. <laughs> well, thank you very much. That's my whole point. Wow. But wow. It's my whole point. Um, Scott as a says fact, forget I, HR. <laughs> you guys heard it here first. Scott says no HR. <laughs> I didn't say that. I'm saying that. 
start on time, end early is a house rule for me. Matter of fact, I you guys do house rules? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. So house rules, a slide at the beginning. You get to make them up. They're yours, everybody. Make up your own house rules. They're really a great way to set the stage at the beginning when you're doing your introductions. One of mine was, we're going to start on time. We're going to end early. That's what we're going to shoot for today. If we do our job today, we're going to get out of here early. Does anybody have a problem with that? The HR person is screaming in the back of the room, beside you <laughs> and Dan Coonrod, does anybody have a, con- uh, a problem with that? N- you know, never, which is really great because then we're all aligned. Like, it's almost like it's a great thing. Like, we're going to be in this together. And if we work together, folks, we can get through this. We're going to get out of here early. And I know you love that, right? So we're going to go ahead and working on that. Um, I need to start wrapping things up, but I want to talk about like multi-day sessions um, are interesting because you you have to find a way. In my humble opinion, you have to find a way to reinforce what you did the day before. So, what are some things that you found really, really worked well in that environment? So, we're just kind of doing around the rob. And if you have any ideas for that, go ahead, Dan. I just want to say, so we're talking about taking lessons away from other trainers. When we had John on a few weeks ago, and he told the story. Oh, was it you or was it John who told the story about the guy who started his story and then like told little snippets throughout the day and then got to the end of the day and said, all right, I'll finish it tomorrow and had everybody like, no, like, that, that was me. Okay. That was me. Okay. Yeah. Like what a fantastic, fantastic tool. Like, all right, I got this great story. Here's the beginning. Here's some snippets throughout the day. All right. Here's the big thing and we'll finish it tomorrow we'll get to it tomorrow and i uh, i think that's that's amazing I, I love that idea just as a trainer trick i think in general if you're going to do a multi-day training you have to know your content well enough to know where the best and optimal break point is and be like this is the best place to stop because tomorrow I'm going to have to spend 10 to 15 minutes getting everybody back in gear. And I need to be able to use that review to roll into an applicable point that'll get everybody back up and rolling and running through and build that energy back up and then get us through the next day, two days, three days, so on and so forth. Um, mine's a small thing, but um, I found it matters a lot. I would just say it's important that you're consistent about how you present yourself and not to say that like we play a role, but like you're going to lose a lot of energy if you Jekyll and hide your audience by one day showing up and you're super energetic and you're positive and you're happy and you're smiling. You show up the next day and people are like, Oh my God, what happened to her? She looks half dead. Like don't go out and get hammered and then show up hungover. You know, don't it's, it's a bigger distraction than you think it is to come in a different person than you were on day one. So as much as you can, being a consistent uh, facilitator, it just means less distraction for your people. Yeah. I like to start my day two or three or whatever with either a quiz on what we learned yesterday and just go around the room. What we learned yesterday? Around the room. Real nice recall, right? Knowledge retention. What did you guys learn? which I think works well. Or you just go, let's go all out, right? And we're going to play some Jeopardy, right? We're going to play Jeopardy beginning of the day, and we're going we're gonna to take all the questions from the stuff that I know you were supposed to learn yesterday, right? Which becomes really opening from a facilitator perspective. Games like that are awesome because I learn if I've done a decent job or my audience is like, ooh, I need to really reinforce this stuff because Everybody was stumped on easy questions like, oh, wow, I, I, I got I to gotta go back. We got to talk about stuff. I think it's really great. Same thing can happen just in round robin. Hey, what did we learn yesterday? What did we learn yesterday? So I go, you know, all that good stuff. So that's that. Um, hey, folks, if you have any um, suggestions on classroom management, things that can help you be better in the room, either virtually or in person, please send us an email at learningnerdscast at gmail.com. Danielson. Yes, Scott. Could you do me a huge solid and let everybody else know how they can communicate with us? Absolutely, Scott. If you haven't already, hit us up at learningnerdscast at gmail.com. Email us your questions, join in on the discussion. 
Tell us whether or not you agree with any of the training tips and tricks we shared today. If you haven't, also hit us on Facebook at Learning Nerds. And for all you Instagram folks, we're Fab Learning Nerds. Thank you, Dan. How are we doing now? Like in general? to He had to. <laughs> One last time. One last time. That's going to be it for us today, folks. Um, thanks to my co-host. Thanks for all your great wisdom. Do me a favor. Will you go ahead and hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to us, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever. We'd love to uh, have you subscribe. Share this podcast out with your friends. Share it, folks. It's good stuff. The more people we have, the better discussions we can get. Uh, and do me a favor. If you're on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever, leave us a review. Um, we'd like to hear how well or how poorly we're doing so we can bring you what you need and with that my name's scott i'm dan i'm abby and we're your fabulous learning nerds and we are out the electronic specifier insights podcast is dedicated to asking the big questions of the electronic industry's biggest players Electronics and technology are becoming increasingly integral across all aspects of daily life and within society as a whole. Check out the Electronic Specifier Insights podcast at www.electronicspecifier.com. Thanks for listening to the Fabulous Learning Nerds. You know, there are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment of offerings. If you're, if you're thinking of giving it a try, if you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.